0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do a film review podcast that covers brand new movies out in the theaters. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just remember, Quipster is spelled with a W. Do a search for it wherever you're listening to this right now, and you'll probably find it. Today we're going to be kicking off a new series of films from the 1980s, primarily. The Nightmare on Elm Street films. And of course I'm going to start off with 1984's original, just called A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a Wes Craven film, he wrote and directed it. Heather Langenkamp, Johnny Depp, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Robert Englund, Amanda Wyss are in the film. It's an R-rated film, it does have gore disturbing images, violence, and sexuality, and it runs an hour and 31 minutes. There's a lot of material here to cover for the Nightmare on Elm Street series, so I'm going to take some of the information and kind of break it up among the movies as I get into them. So I could probably talk about this film on its own for about an hour. There are a lot of books that were written about it and a lot of subject matter when they cover the 1980s horror especially, and I try to keep these reviews at least under 20 minutes when possible. Now, A Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, well-known film. If you know anything about the 1980s, you probably have heard of it. It's a classic horror from the era, and it's pretty much a welcome departure from the kind of schlock that the other slasher movie franchises, such as Friday the 13th and Halloween, had become at that point. Wes Craven here, the writer-director, he adds a lot of humor and imagination to a very formulaic mix that has been done before. And even though the film does suffer from a few inherent weaknesses, I think that there are more than enough clever twists to keep the interest of genre fanatics for the duration. Now, most of the problems of the film stem from its very low budget, its production problems. Kind of a common theme here to talk about films of the 1980s. There were a lot of films that did have production problems, unfortunately. And this one did have a low budget, especially when it comes to the realism of the special effects. You talk about films that date in terms of their special effects. Of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street It's not going to be as eye-popping as, you know, a Conjuring film or something like that, something made today. But there were some ingenious special effects still. The acting here, though, I think is the biggest liability for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Very wooden. It's not really the actor's faults. The money was running out. They had to continue filming as much as possible in a very short time. The shoot was only about a month, and they weren't allowed extra takes or a lot of prep work for each take as it was. So, yes, it is kind of amateur hour here. I don't think anybody was anticipating it was going to be as big a hit as it ended up becoming. It was a breakout hit in 1984, but they were just trying to get through it and hopefully put a good enough product out in theaters that they were able to make their money back and maybe a little bit more than that. So if you take into account the limited production values of A Nightmare on Elm Street, you can appreciate it for the quaint and surprisingly amusing spin on this gory and campy humor that had been flooding the theaters and out on video out in the mid-1980s. Heather Langenkamp is the main star. She plays a teenage girl named Nancy Thompson. Nancy finds out that she's not alone in having this recurring dream about this badly burnt and scarred man named Fred Krueger, who terrorizes her with some pretty horrific acts of terror. Now, Wes Craven says Fred Krueger, uh, that character's name, at least his first name anyway, was based on a schoolmate who bullied him as a child. And what's even more scary for Nancy is that her friends are starting to die mysteriously. And she's sure... That if she were to fall asleep and to have that nightmare again, that she's going to be next in line to be a victim because they're having that dream as well. And sometimes they don't wake up out of that. Her parents think that there's something wrong with her and the local police can't believe a word of it. Her father is a member of that local police. She ends up having to fend for herself, but she can't stay awake forever. She's going to have to confront her nightmare eventually. Now, Wes Craven claims that the inspiration for A Nightmare on Elm Street came from this childhood incident that he had as a 10-year-old. He was in Cleveland, and he heard a noise outside of his window. He looked out of that window, and he saw this strange man who was wearing this hat, a fedora, just like Freddy Krueger does in this film. He was possibly a transient. He ended up staring back at him and kind of making his eyes bigger as he made eye contact with the young boy. And then he started walking towards him, which really scared him. And then a young Wes Craven looked out again and he was closer and his eyes got bigger and it looked like he was gonna come to the door. And he didn't, but it scared him as much as anything has scared him at that point of his life. And he always remembered that. Now, as Craven was developing This into a screenplay, of course, in the early 1980s. He based some of the nightmares on that experience. He had also been reading in the Los Angeles Times at the time about this Cambodian boy who was deathly afraid of falling asleep because he was terrified of this recurring dream of this man that was out to get him, kind of related to that. But the boy ended up dying when he went to sleep. The parents really kind of forced him to go to sleep. They gave him sleeping pills, which apparently he didn't take, but he still went to sleep, never woke up he died in his sleep. And there is also this report that Wes Craven was reading this Los Angeles Times story, another one, of the early 1980s. Several immigrants from Southeast Asia that were living in Southern California in the Los Angeles area had mysteriously died after reporting that they had been having similar nightmares in this condition that they have dubbed S.U.N.D.S., Sudden Nocturnal Death Syndrome. And from there, Wes Craven eventually took all of those elements and he built upon These notions of shared nightmares, that there might be a grim reaper type who could control dreams and come to harvest people while they slept and killed them in their dreams. And so he ended up spending about four years to try to produce a script. He researched dreams and nightmares and their effects at the sleep clinic at UCLA. And all of that research and all of those ideas went into this script, which really makes it somewhat unique among the slasher films of its era. Now, once that script was finished, Craven ended up trying to shop it around to major studios. And despite all of the work that he put into it and the ingenuity, no major studio was interested in it still. Until he went to this slumping, uh, basically a film distributor called New Line Cinema at the time. They were this indie and foreign distribution company that was on the fast track to bankruptcy. They really ended up having to try to take a chance. And eventually, because of the success of this film, they saved their company in the process. A Nightmare on Elm Street would prove to be a huge success. It saved New Line Cinema. With their first major release in cinemas, it was the first one to really go wide, and it took in over $25 million at the U.S. box office in 1984, which doesn't seem like a lot nowadays, but for a film that cost less than $2 million, that was very significant, and it would garner even more sales and rentals over many years after the film's release on the home video market. It really took off after that. The slasher film had begun to seemingly peter out during this period, yet Wes Craven did manage to inject new life by taking the traditional serial killer of the masked thug into the realm of a charismatic but still menacing man who could terrorize individual children in their sleep, and no one would know because nobody else is experiencing that dream, and they would not believe them even if those children told anyone because they feel it's just a nightmare. And that all taps into this fear that we as humans all have of this place where we feel the most vulnerable, this place where we can perceive emotions and fears, but in which we have seemingly very little ability to control them. The film was such a phenomenon that horror films henceforth throughout the 1980s seem to also dabble far more into those trippy realms of the supernatural and the surreal. Now, this is the first of what would become a long and lucrative film series that also spun off into TV shows and comic books and all of that stuff. So a lot of the credit goes to this film in particular for kicking off a lot of the good scares that came down the road. It's also the first film to feature the future megastar, Johnny Depp. He plays a very prominent role here as Glenn, who's kind of the boyfriend of Nancy. And Johnny Depp really got the role in place of some people that were interested but didn't end up getting it. Up and coming stars who were offered the role but they wanted too much money, Charlie Sheen, John Cusack, Kiefer Sutherland, C. Thomas Howell, and Nicolas Cage had a chance for the role but the money wasn't worth their while. Now Johnny Depp was a friend of Nicolas Cage. Cage ended up suggesting Depp for the role to Wes Craven who was going to go with somebody else still but Craven's daughter thought he was so fetching and really beautiful that she told her dad you should pick Johnny Depp and the rest is history. Now, Johnny Depp here, he doesn't really have a lot of the charisma that he would come to be known for later when he started doing a lot more character work and lead character work. He was not a professional actor at the time that he made this film. He really was trying to make it as a rock musician and did a lot of things as his day job on the side of very little consequence. So this was kind of a revelation here for him to become a movie star eventually. Now, Heather Langenkamp, she's another newcomer to feature film work. This was her first feature film. She has a very nice screen presence playing Nancy Thompson, the heroine. She also beat out the likes of future stars who had auditioned for the role, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, Jennifer Grey, and Tracy Gold. If you remember Growing Pains sometime later, she played Carol on that show. Now for the role of Freddy Krueger, Wes Craven initially had in mind that he did not need a professional actor for that role. He was going to work that role with a stunt person in a non-speaking part. He wasn't supposed to have any lines of dialogue. But as his story progressed, he started to give the character a little bit more shape, a little bit more personality, to the point where the stuntman that he had been auditioning really weren't clicking with the extra work that he had in mind acting-wise, for that role. So he felt he needed, at that point, a professional actor. And Robert Englund had been cast in what would prove to be his defining role for that actor, although his character only has about seven minutes of screen time here in this film. You would think that he was in this film a lot more than he ends up being. Out of the 91 minutes, he's only in seven of them. And that was intentional by Craven because he thought it would be more menacing if you left his his visage left to the imagination for the most part, kind of like Spielberg did with Jaws in the mid-'70s. John Saxon here, he's perhaps the most out-of-place actor, but he was the only known actor in the group. He plays Nancy's father, who doubles as the cop on the case. John Saxon was chosen for the film because he was that known actor, and his involvement helped in securing financing, especially because he would increase the film's appeal to foreign markets, which was something that New Line Cinema, as an indie and foreign film distributor, were very keen on at the time. Now, Nightmare on Elm Street not only gives you those quality scares, but it adds a lot of comic relief, which is why a lot of people find those films so entertaining, and that would become the formula for all of the future movies in the series. Freddy Krueger doesn't really dispatch his victims until he has had some dark and dastardly fun at their expense, and that's part of the fun of watching the film, even though it is... Kind of terrifying, I suppose, if you're watching this, especially as a young child. Now, this film, because of the budget, really was the least visually impressive of all of the Elm Street films in many regards, but I do think that they are eye-popping enough They get a surprising amount of mileage, nonetheless, on that limited budget. Now, there is a reason, other than just being a complete psycho, that Freddy Krueger is killing the teenagers that inhabit Elm Street, although the hows and whys are not really made clear here. Wes Craven originally envisioned Freddy Krueger as this child molester when he was writing his original script, but he ended up changing his mind after reading again in the paper, of several cases of actual molestation cases in the news. He didn't want to seem like he was piggybacking off of that sensationalism, and he didn't want to seem too callous to the plights of people who were actually being molested or exploitative to the real-life victims. Freddy Krueger ended up being turned into a child killer, and that seemed to be menacing enough for the character. It didn't need that sexual angle to it. As far as the makeup of Freddy Krueger, his appearance, the stripes that are on his sweater, were meant to be an homage to this character called Plastic Man, who is this shape-shifting, elasticized superhero from the pages of DC Comics he was known for. Whenever he turned into something else, he would maintain his red and yellow striped attire. Freddy Krueger had been meant to have those red and yellow stripes in an homage to Plastic Man, but the color scheme changed from red and yellow to red and green for his wardrobe because Wes Craven read an article in Scientific American about how these shades, in particular the red and the green, side by side, were among the hardest for the human brain to process. And that would be more disorienting for not only the characters in the film to deal with, but also us in the audience. We would be disoriented just by looking at Freddy Krueger and those colors. Krueger's scarred face and the scars all over his body had been inspired from the look and the consistency of pepperoni pizza. Makeup artist David B. Miller had been eating and observing while he was looking at his pepperoni pizza, and that prompted him to go to Craven to try to change the original idea of Freddy Krueger as having sores all over his face that were oozing pus to developing the look of having dark and fresh-looking scars that were akin to burn victims. Now, from a thematic standpoint, the film explores some interesting areas, for instance— The divide that teenagers feel toward their parents, especially in how the sins of their parents end up getting passed on to them, their offspring, in ways that they never really intended because a lot of the Freddy Krueger story is a revenge story for the parents who ended up getting revenge on him for his deeds, which is a very interesting notion. It reminded me a lot of Stephen King's It in that way. Now, as with many teen films of the 1980s, parents are usually absent, or they're mostly checked out as they are here from the lives of their children and what those children are experiencing. They're pretty much on a daily basis away from their children, or they're uninterested, or they're drowning out their miseries with alcohol to the point where they don't want to feel anything at all. It's very common to find in teenage films during this period. And beyond that, it also taps into that fear among adolescents of having to deal with the less sheltered and the scarier world of adulthood. They're on the verge of leaving their current environments to try to fend for themselves in this world that could easily chew them up and spit them out if they don't remain alert to their well-being. And that really drives home those feelings of dreams. They have to remain alert or the ills of the world embodied in Freddy Krueger are going to get them. As some critics tend to praise A Nightmare on Elm Street as a truly great horror film, And I do think that it's great, at least conceptually, in what they tried to do and what they successfully achieved in. I do have to respectfully curb my enthusiasm for the film as it stands as a whole, as much as I do admire it in a great way, and I especially admire Wes Craven as a filmmaker. It does achieve some cheesy thrills. It has refreshingly realized dream sequences. However, I do think from an objective standpoint, the weak acting, Sometimes an unintentional laughs tend to make the overall experience somewhat less for people who are looking at this with an objective eye. So I wouldn't exactly call A Nightmare on Elm Street a masterpiece, but I would say it's fun schlock and as fun as schlock as there is in the 1980s. So my critical side is always at odds with my fanboy side for this particular film in this series. I love it in so many respects and yet as a critic when i have to sit down and actually type up my review and assess everything altogether, it's a cut above a lot of the other slasher films but it's not really up there not not nearly enough to become like a top 10 best films of 1984 for me despite the fact that i watch this film about as much as uh, just about any other horror film of the 1980s so if you want a film to get together with your friends and have a blast with this is the movie for you if you're looking for that movie that's really going to scare the daylights out of you and keep you up for days on end maybe it falls short in that regard i don't think wes craven was really going for that anyway he really wanted to make an intense but fun film that he would enjoy if he were a member of the audience so it's a half-baked premise But Craven runs with it for all it's worth, and he's really crafted one of the more engaging low-budget films of the 1980s, even if it never really remotely approaches the kind of masterwork of horror status that some horror aficionados, especially nostalgic ones, proclaim it to be. So I'm going to give... A Nightmare on Elm Street, three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do think that this is a worthwhile film if you're a fan of horror movies, especially of horror movies of the 1980s. I'm sure if you're a huge fan of horror, especially if you're nostalgic, you'll probably give it like a four star because this is going to be a favorite film for you. And certainly, I would not scoff at that at all. I can easily see why this would be a great favorite film for many people. But for me, and if you know me, I try to be absolutely fair when it comes to films you'll know that a three-star movie, especially for a slasher movie, is very high for me, generally speaking, because they tend to rely much more on formula in the way that they deliver the goods and sensationalism rather than storytelling to the point where I'm not as interested in seeing just people getting killed. I need a little bit more than that. And A Nightmare on Elm Street does give me more than that, but not enough to give a four-star rating to So thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. If you did and you have your own thoughts on this film, you can find my contact information at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Of course, as I mentioned, I'm going to be continuing the Nightmare on Elm Street series as we go along with the follow-up that came out just the next year, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, which was a little bit more comical take. And I haven't seen this one in a little while, so I'm very eager to get into it. It's kind of more of a forgotten film in the Nightmare on Elm Street series because it's the most different, I think, in the formula than the rest of them for a variety of reasons, including the fact that it is mostly a comedy. I'll be checking that out next week from 1985, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. For those people who watch these films along with me, check that out before next week, and we'll get to the review. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening and joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies.